Good morning. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, not that I I am speaking from being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. Make yourself comfortable. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. We're continuing in our teaching series. Rejoice in the Lord always, a study through Philippians, and today we're going to be talking about joy and discontentment. Hold on, wait a minute. I thought we did that last week. We did do that last week. And so Ray's going to be gone for, was gone for two weeks, and in, in the, the uh, rigmarole of everything that's going on and figuring out who's going to teach what, there was a miscommunication, and... We both got assigned the same teaching, but as we thought about it, we're like, discontentment is at an all-time high right now, and it is not a bad idea to double down on God's word concerning discontentment. Amen? So you guys in for it? You with me? Okay. So we're going to jump right into it. So, so like I said, uh, discontentment has kind of doubled up right now, and uh, we are seeing stress cracks, aren't we? We're seeing stress cracks in our relationships. We're seeing stress cracks in our character. And we may have really kind of found that uh, God is kind of revealing some things to us. And we may have slipped into the uh, misguided idea that the many privileges and freedoms that we get to experience in this good old U.S. of A., we've kind of uh, misplaced those. And we think they're our rights now. They're not. They're blessings. We've, uh, we've always been able to shop where we want, when we want, how we want, to get what we want, and that's been challenged, hasn't it? Sending your kids off to school with very little worry is not so easy right now, even if you can send them off to school at all. Being entertained and eating out and socializing has been challenged, and even going to church has been challenged. All these, all these things are kind of occasions right now of discontentment. And yes, even Christians are discontent with the church in some ways. And so again, there's this cloud of misguided anger festering in our hearts and, and these stress cracks that we're seeing, it's kind of leaking out a little bit. So we need God's help. So what do you say we go to him in prayer right now? God, we are so thankful that you give us so very much despite our wandering minds and emotions and loyalties. We are laid low by the supremely unfathomable gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ, who gives us reconciliation with you, a holy and righteous God. And along with the priceless gift of Christ, you give us other gifts like repentance and truth and faith 
and wisdom when we ask for it in abundance without shaming us. And you also give us the presence and power of your spirit. So God, as we seek you today through your word, we want you to help us. We ask you, we beg you to help us to employ those gifts that we can come to know you better in deeper ways and become more like your son. We want to grow in ways that bring you glory and bring others good. And to do that, we need to rest deeply in you and experience your peace. A contentment that's only found in you in the midst of our circumstances, unrest, trials, discontentment. And we understand that it is in our weakness that your strength is made perfect. So, God, we beg you for these things. In the all-sufficient name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So as a reminder, let's just do a little review. This is a letter Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, and it was right after Epaphroditus had brought a gift of support to Paul in prison. And church, uh, the, the church in Philippi that Paul founded um, found that they lost their leader. He was in prison for preaching the gospel. And um, despite the resistance they experienced and the persecution they continued to experience after Paul was in prison, they were still a body of faithful, vibrant, supportive people. And so this letter, besides a gesture of thanks from Paul, it's a letter of encouragement. And it's a letter of encouragement to this church, but not only this church, but every church, to us as Christians here at Desert Breeze. And it's, it's Paul's encouragement for us to be living and growing examples of Christ. Paul's own attitude in prison was on one focus, and that was Jesus Christ. I know in our troubled times today, I don't need to ask you, do you feel yourself imprisoned in some ways? Many of us do feel that way, but Paul's declarations are these, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And also my imprisonment is for the advancement of the gospel. Paul is expressing his convictions about Christ and making much of Christ's example, not of his own. He's showing us what is getting him through and in so doing is showing us what would get us through. He has also confessed, confessed his his lofty resume of religious acumen and social order that uh, it's all rubbish compared to the example of Christ. And he is serving and encouraging those that he loves even while he is in prison. And throughout the letter and and all of Paul's writings, you see this rich and, and deep Relationship. He really knows the condition of his flock and he knows his people. He, he even, in this letter, uses a real specific conflict between two people to call them, to entreat them. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord. And uh, several weeks ago, I had the privilege of teaching about what the church is and who we are, what our identity is in Christ. And one of the outstanding things that we talked about is that we are ambassadors, And this church is an embassy, and ambassadors uh, get their terms of peace from the king. And we are to not only live according to those terms of peace, but we are to pass on as a blessing those terms of peace to those that don't know Christ or those that find this church as a 
an embassy as a refuge for them. And so um, it's an encouragement that we are to entreat one another and agree in the Lord. Because there's a whole lot more that we could disagree on, isn't there? The letter also encourages us to make our needs known to God in a particular way, with a particular attitude. If you missed uh, Ray's teaching a couple weeks ago on anxiety, it will really help you to recalibrate how you bring your, your needs to the Lord uh, with a particular attitude because, you know, we are just so anxious these days. And we end up complaining. And um, we're supposed to bring our, our, our needs to the Lord with humility. And, uh, he, you know, he knows that we have a hard time doing that, so that's why he gives us his spirit who, who, who translates our groaning uh, to our Lord and brings him righteous prayers uh, that he, hear, he would hear us. And so we just need to face it that there is lots to complain about, uh, but complaining in this way is not <clears throat> a mark of a Christian in the midst of uh, hardship and plenty, we are to be about gospel-centered peace and perseverance. And that comes from an attitude that has a soul-level conviction about who Christ is, from which we are inspired and empowered to live our lives as a reflection of him. And Paul describes Christ in a particular way in chapter 2, and that is our example. He says about Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is our example. Notice the two really key things in there. He, he humbled himself and he humbled himself in obedience. And that's what we are to do, as hard as, hard as it is, because our emotions are some, in some ways running rampant. He goes on in chapter 2 to uh, talk about Christ's name. And it is in Christ's name that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and that he is exalted, not for our glory, but for God's glory. And Paul continues to affirm their obedience and encourages how they are to continue their obedience and what that should look like and how it should be motivated. Because Paul knows, I mean, he's in prison. He knows that, that hanging on to your faith is a really hard thing to do. And he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he tells us where our strength and, and what the, who, who, who's lifting the heavy end of the log. It says, for God, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And even in, in circumstances that are not so pleasurable to us, he's working for his good pleasure to turn us into the likeness of his son. So now let's dig into our verses today. We're going to look at three main points today, three things that will help us in our discontentment. They are to connect with God, God's people, to be comfortable with his providence and be confident in his presence. Now, you don't have to write those down right away because we're going to go through each one. But let me talk about contentment a little bit right now. Contentment is a rare commodity despite the vast, abundant society that we live in right now. 
There's a funny thing that uh, I read about, about two gravestones that were found in England, a husband and a wife, they were right next to each other. And on the wife's gravestone, it said she died for lack of things. And then you look next to it, to her husband's gravestone, he died trying to give them to her. That's pretty sad. That's a little funny, but uh, more so sad. Proverbs 10.28 says to us, the hope of the righteous brings joy. That's the first part. Where, what is our hope? Who is our hope? Our hope is Christ. Well, what about Christ? He has come down to take care of our biggest problem, that separation from God. He reconciled us to God. He paid the price that we couldn't pay, made us righteous before God, but also he, he didn't abandon us. He, he went away to do what? To prepare a place for us. And he promises to come back and to make all things new. No more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, no more sickness. That's where our hope lies. It's a hope that our past is taken care of and our future is secure. The verse goes on to say that, uh, but the expectations of the wicked will perish. The expectations will perish, of the wicked will perish. The wicked are those who go about doing things and getting things their way because they believe their way is better than God's way. And and God's way is either optional or obsolete. God is in control. He, He wants to bless us. But not because he deserves it, but because he knows what's best for us. And so we need to understand that those things that we put God expectations are, they're going to perish under the pressure that we put on them, whether it's people or positions or possessions. And uh, if we keep pursuing that, we're going to kill ourselves trying to get those things when we can really find rest in the Lord and um, we can find our hope and um, our righteousness that brings hope. And so in our verses today, the punchline of our verses is one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. And that is verse 13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's a very concerning health and wealth gospel out there that whole churches teach all the time that that verse means that I can do anything that I set my mind to, or I can have anything I want, health or wealth, as long as I name it and claim it and put the name of Jesus on the end of it. That is heresy. That is wrong gospel. And so when we look at this verse, we really need to understand what it looks like. And I see it really as a verse about our integrity, our belief. And so... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, how it's about integrity. I, I define to integrity in a particular way. When you build something and it has integrity, it is sturdy, it is firm, it'll last, it'll, it'll endure use and even abuse if it has enough integrity. And so integrity, as far as we go, is, is define, I define it this way. Is having the internal fortitude that you need to endure any circumstance, good or bad, without falling apart or compromising yourself, without compromising God's truth or exploiting or oppressing others. That's integrity. And that is the secret of of facing plenty and hunger that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I can do what God made me to do and, and, and leads me to do all things uh, 
and endure all circumstances without falling apart or without being compromised or making compromises. So how do I do that? Well, Brian and Carolyn did such a wonderful job last week. I'm so thankful for them. They're uh, one of our elder couples, and they did a great job, and they put it in the most simplest terms. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need the Christ of the gospel. And so what what about the gospel, and what about Christ do I need to know? Well, that brings us to our three main points. And these are three principles to increase your contentment. And we'll, we'll define contentment as satisfaction. Satisfaction is one of the words associated with the word satiate. And so when, we, when we're hungry and we eat and we have enough, we are satiated. It's not about what we need, it's about how it satisfies us. So we can eat a little bit and be satisfied, we can eat a whole lot and be satisfied and sometimes oversatisfied. And so the first one of these three is to be connected to God's people. This will help increase our contentment. We see it in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You see this, this deep relationship that I was talking about. It says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So I see that there's a two-way yearning for Paul to be with his people and his people to be with Paul and for them to support one another. And so there's this yearning. And as, as we have been separated in some ways, do you feel this yearning to be whole again as a church and, and uh, in ways that uh, are very challenging for us, challenging to our faith, challenging to our perception of what church is and what it's supposed to be about? Yet even apart, this example that they give us, they were an encouragement and a blessing to one another. And we need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. And so there's three things regarding connecting with God's people that will be very joy-producing for you and for others. First is found in verse 10. Rejoice in the Lord greatly. Greatly. Sometimes when our world has been turned upside down, we have a hard time rejoicing in the Lord greatly because of the things that we can't see or the things that we don't understand. And so how do we rejoice in the Lord greatly? We rejoice in the Lord greatly by focusing on the things that we do know, the things that we can see. And so what we do know is that Christ came and died for us. We have an eternally secure future and a salvation that is not of our own, that was given to us as a gift while we were yet sinners. That is something to rejoice in the Lord greatly about that. And we share that faith with the people in our church and the people around us, whether they're sitting here or whether they're at home or wherever they might be. So let's rejoice in the Lord greatly in those regards. And let's also rejoice in the Lord greatly that there's brothers and sisters in Christ right here and, and who you have connection with, thank God for them because uh, Paul is, is rejoicing in the Lord for the gift of others in this letter. It's a wonderful example. So when we post things, when we send emails, what are we doing? Are we rejoicing in the Lord greatly? Are we being thankful for those people that are, uh, are around us? Or are we, are we causing division? Are we focusing on things that just are out of our control and uh, just don't do much to encourage and lift up and to edify the church and one another. Let's stop doing that. All right? Another joy-producing thing is to give the gift of encouragement, just what I was talking about. Give it to others. 
Verse 10, you revived your concern for me. And even in, this, in, the, in the midst of this mess, we cannot stop making an effort, as hard as it is, to revive our concern for one another. So let's, let's focus on what we can do and stop focusing on what we can't do. In the latter part of verse 10, it says, you're indeed concerned for me. This, uh, this teaching is about uh, G2 and G3. We talk about the five Gs, our game of life class, where we teach what fully, devotion to Jesus, fully, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, what that looks like. And it's a genuine, a growing, a giving, and a going Christian, all to the glory of God. And so encouraging one another in this whole teaching is about growing and giving Because when we participate in what God is up to, we can expect to experience growth because it's hard and we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but we can also count on that there will be joy found in it. Because you got to know, church, that doing ministry is not easy and it's not always fun, but it's always good. I mean, look at Paul. He's in prison. Think he's having a good old time? I don't think he's wearing a party hat. Right? And Epaphroditus, in doing God's work and bringing this gift, he almost died. So doing God's work and participating in it is not always pleasant work, but it will bring growth and it will bring joy. Next is share the troubles of others and thank thank others for going to the trouble. Verse 14 said, it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was almost, I get this inkling that uh, Paul knew what was going on outside of the prison, the persecution and resistance that his church was feeling, and he's almost saying, thanks for sharing my trouble. You didn't have to do that because you get enough troubles of your own. That's an assumption on my part, but I could certainly see it that way. And this really requires authentic relationships with one another. Now, let me describe authentic relationships with one another. I'm going to ask you some questions. How many of you are made in the image of God? All of you. How many of you are sinners? All of you. Newsflash. Right? So you're both good and bad. I know there's some very talented people in here, but your talents also come along with some weaknesses. I know that there's people in here that are very strong in some regards, but uh, you have some limitations, right? So as a whole person, you're both good and bad and strong and weak and talented and limited. That's who I am. That's who you are. And if we're going to have relationship, authentic relationship with one another, that's what we have to accept. Because if you only love me and encourage me on my good, strong, and talented days, and you abandon me on my bad, weak, and limited days, that's not a whole relationship. That's not an authentic relationship. So there has to be two necessary dynamics of healthy relationships in this, uh, uh, in this way of being willing to give and to receive. And that's how we offer encouragement to other, one another and share our troubles with one another. But sometimes, uh, because of our fear and pride, we'll be ashamed or too prideful to let people know what we're struggling with. We can't do that. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We need to, we need to not be so ashamed and know people are alongside us that love us and that have some of the same issues. And we can be okay, and we need to create a safe place where we can share our issues 
one another. One another. And this requires a two-way street of trust and grace and understanding and love. But we also need to understand if that you're asking someone to help, help, you have to be humble enough to understand that they have a capacity. Sometimes, don't make people your Jesus, right? And so understand and respect that people have a capacity. And sometimes it actually feels a little bit unsafe to meet people's needs because it'll just, where does it end? And so what do we all have? We all have Christ, and really he is the one that's going to meet our ultimate needs. But he surrounds us with people that love us that can meet our temporal needs or our uh, immediate needs in a particular way. And there's deep, meaningful relationships. They will not endure without this dynamic. And when we define our relationships on how we can serve one another and love one another, we create a safe place to have needs met and to also help others. Do you guys know what Desert Breeze uh, mission statement says? Desert Breeze exists to provide a safe place where unchurched people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And fully devoted followers are genuine, they're growing, and they're giving, and they're going, and they're glorifying God. And so, again, the danger of helping sometimes is that the pressure is too much. And when a relationship is weighted towards one person above another... It's followed by uh, the good chance of disillusionment and disappointment, followed by bitterness and anger, and eventually separation. And that is relational discontentment. And it's not only bad to begin with, but it's horrible inside the church and causes division. So we need to pick ways to serve one another. And we sometimes need to take small steps. There's some wonderful things that you guys do on a regular basis. I've seen people do meal trains, people run on the store for one another, mowing lawns, babysitting. Those, those are all wonderful things that make a huge impact to let people know they are noticed. We know your needs. We, and we want to love you in these things. Those are, those are wonderful things to do. But you have to know that Christians... Um, uh, meeting one another's needs goes way, way beyond that. The Christ life is about vulnerable intimacy, sacrifice, and an interdependence interdependence on Christ. It describes it in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And it's in these verses that we, we find the phrase, bear one another's burdens. Now, all those things that I mentioned about meal trains and so forth, those are ways of bearing one another's burdens, but... This goes way beyond that. It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, he is not, when, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So, in bearing one another's burdens in this way, accountability does not mean accounting. And what I mean by that is just getting together with people and helping them count their sins. I don't need anybody's help counting my sins. I am crystal clear about how I sin. Um, But sometimes people need to show me blind spots. But that's not about being an armchair quarterback. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to love one another enough 
and gentleness and respect and teach, uh, speaking the truth and love in this whole relationship dynamic. And when, when we do that, we can help people to see their junk, to own their junk, and to let them know, I'm going to walk with you through that. I am going to get a little vulnerable here. I, uh, I come from a broken home, and as a young man after uh, the home was broken, uh, I, my, my family was broken when I was about 12, but uh, at, at about the age of 40, I looked back, and, and my dad, uh, a lot of his dysfunction, he was a very discontented man, although he went to church for most all of his life, uh, he dealt with his discontentment by uh, trying to be liked by everybody. Uh, but also in private, he would, he would just drink himself um, uh, into forgetting. And uh, it was a devastating thing. And it ended up devastating our family uh, and devastating his life more and more and more as he grew older and older. And I, uh, I got a call from some family members and uh, went back east to just love my dad and to come alongside of him and, and say, God, Dad, I, I love you so much. You're destroying your life. And you may not understand that you're not alone. No one around you is abandoning you, but they're being hurt. They're being, uh, they're being hurt by you and, and the choices that you're making. And, and he didn't understand this dynamic of love, and I shared the gospel with him in a way that he never understood. And I even had to go to counseling sessions with him so the professional counselor could explain to him what I was saying in a way that he would understand it. And he finally... He finally, his, his eyes were opened and, and he accepted the, the help that was being to offered to him, which is to, uh, to dry out and to go into rehab. And it was hard. It was a hard, hard process. And it was hard for him. It was hard for everybody. But I'll never forget uh, walking him into the rehab center in Boston and going to get into those double doors where he would not be in contact with anybody he knew uh, for the next 90 days so he could get worked on, he could work on himself. Uh, and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, son, I, I hope you don't think less of me because of this. And I said, dad, I think more of you. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. We're going to be here when you get done. And we're going to keep working on this. Our relationship is going to get better. And I am so proud of you for making the decision, the scary decision to get the help that you need because I can tell you're scared. I can tell that you're, you're, in question, you're questioning whether we're going to leave you or not. We're not. And so I, I tell you that story because it's true that when, <clears throat> when we bless others, uh, when we suffer with them, and go through their junk with them and walk alongside of them, it's hard, but there's huge, huge joy in it. So be connected with God's people. Number two, be comfortable with God's providence. We've talked several times about God's providence in this series and in other series. Verse 11 and 12 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So the, the phrase, I am to be content, presupposes that Paul's not always been content. He's not always known that he's to be content. 
And he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. So he's gone through some tough circumstances that have taught him how to be content in the midst of those circumstances going on. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So we need to understand that learning is a process. Learning is a process not only to learn what we don't know, but to learn what we don't know and to do something with it. That's the process. And we, need to, we, 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 we don't have it within ourselves enough confidence in ourselves to be able to go through that process in a, in a healthy way. So we have to know that God is with us, but we have to know things about his character, about his providence. We need to be comfortable with his providence. And things that will help us be comfortable with his providence is knowing that in God's perfect love, he always wants what is best for you. Always wants what's best for you. It's his perfect love. In 1 John chapter 4, 18, it talks about this unhealthy fear that kind of pushes us away from God. It says, There's ne- there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My dad was experiencing some imperfect love, some unhealthy fear. And I thank God that he experienced a perfect love that cast away fear that allowed him to move forward. So the encouragement is don't let your fear of the natural keep you from God's supernatural love that casts out fear. Excuse me. The next thing about God's providence is in his infinite wisdom, he knows, he always knows what is best for you. Always. He is infinite and we are finite. We don't know uh, what's best for us, even though we think we do sometimes. Romans 11.33 says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. inscrutable. He doesn't mess up. We have a lot of potential in Christ. Christ has no potential, meaning that he cannot be improved upon. And we need to understand understand that in his infinite wisdom, he always knows what's best for you. Also, in his unstoppable power, he will always do what is best for you as his child. We are his children. He has adopted us. He's chosen us. We need to have an Ephesians 1, 19 through 23 attitude, and it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all the church, which is his body, the fullness of, of him who fills all in all. Church, he's got it covered. It doesn't mean that we sit back, but it means that we can move forward and do ministry and boldly and confidently. So do you know God like that? 
Do you know God like that? And you need to know that he longs for you to know him like that. And if you say you know him like that, are you living and acting as though you do? Can other people see it? Are they led to Christ by your example, like Paul is showing us here? It is hard, and to be clear, let's talk about what contentment is not. Contentment isn't loving everything just the way it is. Christians don't settle. I don't want to stir the fudge. That's not Christian. Like, no, we stand on the truth, but we speak the truth in love, and we do it with a joyful expectations. And when we have to go into hard circumstances, don't, don't bow and cower to what the enemy is up to. Live out James 1.4, which says that we're supposed to let perseverance finish its perfect work in us. That's part of learning the secret. Also, contentment isn't a lack of drive to succeed. Well, success, that's prideful. That's not Christian life. No. Excellence honors God. And if he wants to bless you with influence or money or position and power to make him look good and to do his work in the world, you do it. You go for it. But you do it for his glory, not your glory. It's the attitude in which you do it with. Also, contentment isn't fatalism. I guess I'm supposed to just sit here and suffer. Debbie Downer. (laughs) That's not Christianity. It's not about fatalism. Also, Christianity is not about laziness. And I'll describe laziness as sitting on your seat until it's comfortable for you. There's a book that I really like, and uh, it's written by Kevin DeYoung. It's called Just Do Something. I have several copies in my office. If you'd like one, I'd be happy to give you one. Um, But he talks about this spiritual laziness, uh, and he says that we are directionally challenged concerning God's will in our lives. And he describes it in five particular ways. One of them, he says that sometimes we want to please God, but we are afraid to disappoint him. So we sit in our seats. You're not a disappointment to God. If you have Christ, he sees his son. He sees his child when he looks at you. His, his righteousness has been imputed to you. That's what God sees when he looks at you. He cannot and will not be disappointed you. So with fear and trembling, work out your salvation, move forward. Laziness can also be described as some of us are timid and have been taught not to try. And I don't mean that in school or our parents outwardly say, well, don't try. I mean that the bar is set way too high and it intimidates us. Our society has just said that, you know, if we have the... The, the, the most expensive cars, the biggest house, the best positions, the, you know, wherever it might be that, uh, you know, that's, that's being somebody. They've set the bar way too high. And I know particularly for men, and it, and it, and it, and it uh, really challenges marital relationships, when the bar is set too high, a man would rather do nothing than to do something and fail because the bar has just been set way too high. So again, whole relationships, we need to make it safe for one another. 
Laziness is also described as sometimes we want uh, perfect fulfillment. We've had it so good that we forget life is not about our happiness, but about our holiness, about our wholeness. I think we're experiencing some of that right now. And um, I heard Ray say this, and I'm not quite sure if he came up with it or where it came from, but I love that the idea that God's call to us for holiness is his call to us for happiness. I have come that you will have life and life to the fullest, and that comes through the holiness that he gives us, trusting him and living for him and in whatever circumstances that we're in, because the thief does only come to steal and to kill and destroy, but take heart. Christ has come that you may have life and life to the fullest, and he has overcome the world. And so don't wait for the perfect fulfillment. That'll keep you from doing what God has for you, the best things for you. And sometimes we have too many choices. This world bombards us with choices, with you deserve this, and you should have this, and you can get this, and that, and we're just so inundated with all those choices, and we may not be spending enough time saturating ourselves with God's word, that we have a hard time discerning what is blessing and what's temptation. And so sometimes we have too many choices. And last, he describes sometimes we're just cowards. And that's not to be harsh, it's to just to put things into perspective. Uh, he says that we pray the coward's prayer. Lord, tell me what to do and put it on a billboard in paragraph form so I know that there's nothing bad that's going to happen, nothing uncomfortable, nothing incon- inconvenient will happen, so I don't have to face danger or the unknown, and I trust you, but please make it clear to me so I don't have to trust you completely. That's not faith. And there's danger in all these things. These are fears, and they're, they're being driven to succeed out of emptiness for our glory and our comfort, and they're all occasions for discontentment. But contented people are inspired to succeed out of fullness, strong and courageous, willing to learn the secret for God's glory in the midst of troubled times. So that's what contentment is, and let's talk what contentment is. Contentment is a quiet spirit. Paul shows us this in verse 11. Not that I am speaking for being in need. He's saying it's not about me. Not that I am speaking about being in need. Where is he? He's in prison. He is starving and stinking. He definitely has needs, but he's not making it about him. So contentment is having a quiet spirit. Contentment is also a learned ability. He says it several times, for I have learned, for I have learned. And we have a hard time learning because we battle our desires within us, our desires of the flesh battle within us. And our sinful flesh is sometimes inconsolable when we seek the gifts instead of the gift giver. When we seek the healing before the healer. When we seek the saving before the savior. And so we need to understand what 1 Peter chapter 4.13 tells us. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's three times when God's glory will be revealed. When he returns, as he said he would, his, his full glory will certainly be revealed to the entire world. 
If we should die before he comes, when we come face to face to him, his full glory will be revealed. But also he will be revealed in us and through us when we trust him and he meets us in our troubled circumstances, his glory will be revealed in those ways too. So in us and through us. Also, contentment is a knowable secret. Paul says, I have learned the secret. And knowing the secret isn't always perceived very well with our, our uh, nearsightedness. Um, <clears throat> Sometimes in this world we think that, oh, that person's got, got it all together. They got such a nice house and such a nice car and they go on these great vacations and they do this and that and, you know, they just seem to have it all together. Whereas if you really were to go talk to them, they would, might tell you that they're miserable and the pursuit of all these things is killing them and uh, they pursue all these things because they can't really find where real joy comes from. And so... <clears throat> But we can also be that example in the midst of suffering to have people come alongside of us and say, what is with you? You seem to be happy to wear a mask. You seem to be so content in the the midst of this pandemic and all this civil unrest and rioting and, and what's going on in the world. Aren't you troubled? And you can say, I'm glad you asked. I got a smile on my face and guess who put it there? Let me tell you about him. Right? We can be, uh, <clears throat> we can, it's knowable, and we can tell other people the secret. And it's not found in the book, The Secret, by the way. Uh, contentment is learned within circumstances. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. So contentment is learned in circumstances. Not by looking from afar, but actually in and living through the circumstances. He has learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He is claiming, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in all circumstances. Next, contentment is believing Christ is more than enough. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is saying that he gives me what I need on the inside so that I can endure what's going on on the outside and be a good witness and reflection of him. And in the process, he tells me in his word not to worry. What does he tell us not to worry about? Not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink, where we're going to lay our head, the roof over our heads. But he tells us to seek first what? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. That song, he's got the whole world. Okay, hold on. Here's some, here's some good advice, some wise advice. Avoid comparisons. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 warns us of this, and it says that when we uh, compare in this way, we are without understanding, which means that we've forgotten that the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that apart from Christ, we are all doomed, every single one of us. So that's a warning of positional comparison. So it should give us humility to be able to witness to others that don't know Christ, but confidence that, hey, Christ died for you too. So that's positional comparison. There's also uh, possessional warnings that Luke gives us in chapter 12. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of his possessions. So there's 
a possessional warning. And it's in this very chapter that he gives us other warnings. He warns us about spiritual hypocrisy. That's spiritual, that's an occasion of spiritual discontentment or a fruit of it. He warns us about uh, acknowledging Christ before men. If men are higher than God in your in your economy of your faith, then that's that's a discontentment within your faith. He tells us not to be anxious. That's a product of discontentment. Not to covet. That's a product of discontentment. It says be spiritually ready and wise. So we need to invest our time, even our bad times, in becoming spiritually ready and wise. In all occasions, we need to do that, and we need to be learning the secret that we can gain a 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 attitude, which says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7 says, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if you have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. Now, notice it says, with these things we will be content, not in these things we will be content. Because what's the key here? Godliness with contentment. Godliness is the key. The next wise piece of advice, adjust, the, adjust to variations. Go with the flow. Roll with the punches. Jesus tells us in John sixteen thirty three, I have said these things that in me you, sh- you may have peace. In me you will have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In me you will have peace. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Sometimes people ask us how we're doing. Well, under the circumstances, I'm not doing very well. Well, get out from under there and learn the secret because in him you will have peace and he has overcome the world. Next is develop convictions like Job did. Job one twenty one said, and he said, "Naked I came into the in naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return." The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He lost a lot. We've all lost a lot at times, and if you haven't, you will. Um, and this gets back to being comfortable with God's providence. And you need to know that we develop convictions by adjusting our perspectives. Let me say that again. We develop convictions by adjusting our perspective. I'll never forget back in the old nightclub days, I was still in the restaurant business and I was doing pretty well and um, news was coming down the corporate pipeline that my particular position might not be needed for very much longer. And man, I put a lot into my job and, and found a lot of security in that, provided for my family well. And so I was troubled over that. But I understood through learning and growing that the Lord takes away sometimes. And there was another job that was just right, I thought, and uh, it was going to be coming through a friend of mine who had great influence in this particular company, and I had this arrogant attitude that, ah, the interview is just a formality, so I went and did the interview and only hear the next day, hey, you're not the guy for the job. And I was in church that the following Sunday, And uh, they sang that song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord, He Gives and Takes Away. And I had an an occasion to worship, but I was having a hard time. And I was actually weeping, thinking the Lord gives and takes away in this negative sense. But as I was faithful in in just 
proclaiming his goodness and that he has the right to give and take away, he really adjusted my perspective. He adjusted my perspective and reminded me that Lord has given me his son and he has taken away my sin. It was, it was a spectacular moment that I will never, ever forget. So when we develop convictions, we do that by adjusting our perspective. Number three of our main points, be confident in God's presence. presence. Be confident in God's presence. E-N-C-E, not E-N-T-S. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when we have this attitude, uh, we, we <clears throat> again, it's about integrity. We can read scripture with confidence. Like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He does make me to lay down in green pastures. He leads me. He restores me. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Even though I will walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. And your rod and your staff, those things that teach me lessons that I need to know, they comfort me instead of troubling me. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you, forsake you. So you can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. We need to understand that contentment doesn't come from what we have, but who we have. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Again, I say rejoice. The deepest and most enduring contentment is found not from Christ, but in Christ. Psalm 63, but because your steadfast love is better than life, better than life, my lips will praise you. Amen. Intimacy with Christ is life's most satisfying reality. In the life of King David, he was very troubled and uh, discontented over the decadent and prosperous life of the people, evil people around him. And in Psalm 73, 25, he says, Who have I in heaven but you? And that's not him settling. He, He was acknowledging that the creator of the heavens and the earth is, is his. Who have, who have I but in heaven, in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Forever. Those are words that we can proclaim with confidence. Psalm 84, for, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, and I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. You know what a doorkeeper does? He stands outside the house and opens the door and just peeks in every now and then, and he lets people in, lets people into God's presence. And that is an honor to do, and, and it's true. I would rather just be a doorkeeper to be able to look and see what God's doing in people's lives and that I get to participate in that uh, rather than being a, a thousand other places or a, a, a thousand other worldly things. So to wrap up, intimacy with Christ is an enchanted reality in a disenchanted world. And we are so bent on finding our happily ever after 
that we get knocked sideways when our fairy tales turn into horror stories. And if we would just practice Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God, that we would find joy and discontentment and realize that Jesus Christ is our happily ever after. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for your truths today, and for, for loving us, for never leaving us, for never forsaking us. God, help us learn, as Paul shows us here, learn the secret to be content in every circumstance, in any circumstance. Help us in newer and deeper ways to have better and whole relationships, to connect with your people. Help us to do that, God, because sometimes it's, it's tough. So we pray that you'd give us opportunities to do that, that you would uh, just show us at the end of our days uh, where you met us and, and show us where we missed you. Minister to our hearts. Grow us up, God. We pray, Lord, that uh, you help us to be comfortable with your promise, your providence, knowing that your love is perfect and you, you know what's best for us. You want what's best for us, and you will do what's best for us. And God, help us be confident in your president, in your presence. We love you, and we need you, and we're desperate for you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. Thank you so much for coming. If you're new with us, you're welcome to come up. I'd love to say hi to you. If you need some prayer, please also come up, and uh, I'll pray for you.